to the Voice of Truth radio show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger. My co-host, Pastor Brian Leversey, will be here momentarily. Meanwhile, Tim Dallard's going to mic up for a few minutes. Right, Tim Dallard? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, I'm, I'm we here. Um, Voice of Truth. Where the, uh, I lost my train of thought here because I... Sent Tim stuff to upload way too late. We're a few minutes late getting on, so that was the fault of yours truly. Thursdays at 5, Saturdays at 3 p.m. And we, uh, you can also find us at Voice of Truth with Mike Azinger on Facebook. And um, let's see here. We got some we got some great stuff to talk about today. Um, I just, I try to get the the best uh, stories going on during the week that are affecting the culture, and that's what we address. We address uh, we address the culture, we address politics, worldviews, and um, bring a biblical perspective, you know, as much as possible. But uh, let me see a little a few things going on that we're going to talk about. Uh, second segment, I got a great story. Uh, it's called "Death of Daycare" by a gal named Suzanne Venker. You ever heard of her, Tim? Very few have. So she's yeah. she wrote a book with uh, Phyllis Schlafly. You remember Phyllis Schlafly? I do remember her. Okay, so she was she was more my generation gal, but she um, was a Catholic gal, but she was a warrior for uh, for the culture and for. Uh, you know, moms being moms, staying home with their kids, and, and uh, you know, basically, basically fought the the hard left feminist movement. Um, but she wrote a book with uh, before she passed away. Susan Suzanne Venker wrote a book with her, and she has an article called uh, "Death of Daycare," and uh, it's a good one. So, Pastor, you're gonna like you're gonna like this one, I think. Sounds but like I came in just in time. You did, indeed, you did. I did not. I did uh, notice you didn't come in with a cup of Tim Hortons for <laughs> Tim Dell and I. You don't need that. You're ready to go. I could tell this morning. I, Great I, piece of day. We love that law. Nothing shall offend. Great piece of day. We love that law. Nothing shall offend. <laughs> Say it over and over and over and over. <laughs> All right. So, uh, uh, I'm, uh, let me let me get to my list. All right. So first, we had a. Um, we had we, uh, we told the story last week. I don't know if you remember about the the guy doing the uh, going out treasure hunting or doing what, what's it called when you have the little wand uh, like metal stuff. detecting? Yeah, metal detecting over in Europe somewhere. Found all those coins. So here's here's a gal. Woman buys painting for four dollars at thrift store. Everybody's listening is going to be going to the thrift store today. Turns out it could fetch up to $250,000. A woman could see a six-figure payday as a painting she picked up at a New Hampshire thrift store turned out to be the lost work of a master artist. How does that happen? How do these <laughs> things end up at Goodwill or whatever? The woman who chooses to remain anonymous, smart, said she found the piece at Savers, that's the name of the thrift store, in Manchester, New Hampshire, in 2017, 
She had been hunting for old frames. That's how these happen. They look yeah. for frames. They find a pretty frame, and they buy the whole thing, put it on the wall. So this gal did that, and then she found this website, uh, a Facebook group called Things Found in Walls and Other Hidden Findings. And it turns out it is a painting by a guy named Wyeth. I'm sure you have several Wyeth yeah, paintings on your I do. on your old home. I've given them to thrift stores, though, unfortunately. <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs> Maybe that's the one I did. I don't know. I... 1882 to 1945 is when he died. was a prolific artist, more than 3,000 paintings. And apparently this gal got one of the more rare ones. going to fetch up to from 125000 to 250000 dollars when it goes to bid so folks get out there i don't know good there's a couple good wheels around here maybe they're there i you know, that's you could take you could take a year off if you i think i've cleared the rest of my schedule today <laughs> and uh know what i'm gonna be doing all right so just uh just uh, a little story so um there's a i found this somebody posted this on facebook everybody's talking about you know all the global warming folks. Oh man, hottest hottest year on temperature uh, in record. This is hotter than it's ever been. Hot, 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 hot. And they all they all say the same thing. They're all in unison. They all get their talking points. So here's a a uh, I'm not sure what newspaper is from. It's a cutout. Um, but 1936 was much hotter. Then 2023. So I'm going to show the picture to Tim Dowler and Brian Leversey. Can you guys see that? Does that look legit to you? Does that look like... As legit as I a pixelated uh, copy of another post can. <laughs> right. <laughs> which, which for the internet's pretty good. It's pretty good. That's a good so, standard for the internet. <laughs> the, uh, the point is, so it's got little dots all over it. Cities with temperatures over 100... Cities with temperatures over 110 degrees in the summer of 36. And then it shows right below that a picture of the U.S. Same thing. Cities with temperatures over 100 degrees and cities with temperatures over 110 degrees. And the map of the 1936, uh, the photo of 1936, has way, 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 maybe 10 times more dots on it. Would wow. you guys yeah, agree? Yeah, absolutely. Then the one... Um, uh, the 1936 one has dots all over it with these t- with these cities all over America that broke these these record heat. Well, 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 every time now, there's a tornado or there's a flood. And again, I'm not minimalizing the tragedies that we've seen. It just seems like this is something that's never happened before. Yeah. And uh, I wonder if anybody's ever heard of the Great Flood before. Like, you know, As there, was the, the time, there was a time there was a, yeah, there yeah. was a well, pretty big flood. And I think that, uh, I think that our, our, uh, elitists do their best to make sure nobody has yeah. heard of it. Right. Yeah. But all you have to do is travel any interstate in the country and look, look where they carve out the side of a hill to make the road. Yeah. And you can see the remnants of, uh, the great flood. Well, we have to understand that modern philosophy, modern, um, science, these are not based on a desire to understand truth. These are based on a desire to create a narrative. Whenever you go into a culture that is creating truth, you're, you're no longer scientific about your approach. Um, I, I watch on, on TV, there's these commercials called Science Moms now, where they sit around in a circle, and the commercial is basically these science moms talking about, 
it just feels hotter. It feels like there's more tragedies. It feels like there's more, you know, and everything's based upon how they feel Mm -hmm. things are happening. And I think that's what we've moved to is navigating based upon how we feel about things instead of just really digging in and, and knowing the facts. And the facts are, is that weather and climate have been, um, cyclical throughout the course of time. And, um, you know, the thing as a Christian that we understand is our world is not going to come to an end before God allows it to come to an end. Mm. All, all things are declining. All things are broken because of sin. But this climate change cult that is trying to have you worship the creation more than the creator is based not on science. It's based upon an agenda. Yes, that is that is well said. The earth is, is the Lord's of the fullness thereof. Anything that, that happens in a catastrophic sense is going to be controlled by God. He yeah. doesn't say anything about the weather just going uh, out of going berserk and destroying the world um, in any in any fashion. And these kids are being indoctrinated in schools, uh, on TV, and so on. And and if you're a little kid hearing this, it's going to it's going to mess with your mind mm-hmm. and indoctrinate you, and and um, it's going to um, it's going to persuade your feelings, like you talked about your emotions and. And emotions are malleable, and they change, and they're whimsical. And I, I think uh, we should be clear about this point, though. <laughs> Things are coming to an end. Things are dying. Things do go mm-hmm. extinct. Things will become worse. There's a reason for this. It's called sin. Yeah. And and while we need to be good stewards of what God has given us in our earth, I, I'm not about you know purposefully polluting poisoning or trashing our world i think that's a poor testimony i think we should take care of the things that god has given to us and i'm all for that if you want to talk about that i'll have conversations with you about that all day long how we are to dress and to keep the garden and how we are to really care for what god has given to us but this is the thing we've denied god in our culture we begin to worship nature as a god and so now we're out of context with what nature is for us There's no way we can protect nature. We are not God. We cannot remake the world. The world is dying, people are dying, and we need salvation. We need redemption. We don't need climate change activists. We need a new heaven and a new earth. That's coming one day. We can have a new life in Christ right now. We're all broken because of sin, but we can know Jesus Christ is our Savior. We can be made new inside. We can have a new man in us. And one day, those who know Jesus Christ is our Savior, even their bodies are going to be made new. You know, that's the thing about the gospel. It's the newness of life. So we've got to be clear. Yes, things are winding down. Things are going to look... Maybe there are more storms. Maybe there are more things that are going to go extinct. This is not... Um, disconnected from truth and scripture. But this is because of sin, not because we're going to get together, worship nature, deny God, and save the world somehow. That is that is false narrative, and it doesn't even follow along with scientific truth. Mm, well said. Let's go ahead and do... Uh, I found this <coughs> um, short piece by Alistair Begg that he talks about the gospel pastor that was just so rich and... Um, Pure and simple, mm. and I, I think we have Elster Beg on. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, we do. That's where I heard it. Um, but I saw the video. I forget where, but um, uh, it was just really, really good. This good segue off of your your uh, little speech there. That was so good. Um, so let's play Alistair Begg just talking about the gospel. We'll just go right from there into a break and come back out of it uh, um, after 
after the commercial break. I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get their supervisor, Ranger. So, we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, let, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Now, now, that's the, that is the only answer. That is the only answer. Hi, this is Brian Leversee, Senior Pastor here at Fellowship Baptist Church, and I would love to invite you to come and worship with us. Our services are Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m., and then again in the evening at 6 p.m. We have our Sunday school programs at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 p.m. Exciting things are happening at Fellowship Baptist, and I would love to see you there. God bless. A portion of today's programming on Praise FM has been brought to you by an underwriting grant from Levitt Funeral Home. Levitt Funeral Home is the area's only locally owned multi-generational home. Five generations of the Levitt family have been personally involved in serving our community. So, a family can always do business with someone they know someone they can depend on. Levitt Funeral Home can offer information about grief resources, ideas on planning a funeral or memorial service, information about our products and services, and ways to bring family and friends together through our online obituaries, email condolence program, and information for families about the Levitt Family Center. Levitt Funeral Home is celebrating 125 years of serving the Valley with two locations in Parkersburg and Belpre. The phone number for Levitt Funeral Home is 422-6459. We are thankful for John and Stephen Levitt of Levitt Funeral Home for supporting listener-supported Praise FM Radio. A portion of today's programming on Praise FM 103.9 and Faith Talk 1450 is brought to you by Reno Refinishing. Reno Refinishing is a locally owned and operated furniture repair and refinishing shop. Mike McKenzie, the owner and operator of Reno Refinishing, has 25 years of experience in furniture repair and restoration. Reno Refinishing is available for a free quote to strip and refinish a favorite furniture piece, fix a broken table or chair, or bring a family heirloom back to life. The motto of Reno Refinishing is, no job too big or too small. The phone number for Reno Refinishing is 740-376-0342. And their before and after pictures can be seen at facebook.com slash Finish. We are thankful for Mike McKenzie and our friends at Reno Refinishing for their support of listener-supported Praise FM 103.9 and Faith Talk 1450. All right, folks, welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger. I've got Brian Leversey with me, pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church. That's where we broadcast. Tim Dallar on the board there, making things happen for the radio show. We appreciate him doing that. All right, so i got an article here by a gal named Suzanne Banker. I ran into her, Pastor, uh, not literally, but uh, saw one of her books several years ago called 
The Flip Side of Feminism, and read it. Good book, really good. She wrote it with uh, Phyllis Schlafly, and you are you said you are familiar with Phyllis Schlafly. Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Okay, so uh, I just happened to come across her again on Facebook somewhere, but she wrote an article called The Death of Daycare, Tragedy or Silver Lining, and this is just a couple of days old. She wrote it just, um, I don't know, a week ago. But um, the the headline caught my eye, The Death of Daycare. I mean, you know, uh, daycare has been uh, embedded in the culture for a number of years now, and it's just part of the culture, and hardly anyone gives it a second thought. But uh, um, some things happened during the pandemic we were talking about uh, mm-hmm. during break, and, and this is one of them that I didn't realize. So uh, pandemic uh, ramifications of some of the pandemics, uh, things that, that are good. One, you know, a lot more homeschool kids, mm-hmm. a lot more Christian school kids. A lot, classical Christian education just grew, um, I don't know, you could probably say exponentially. Homeschooling, I think you could say exponentially. Public school Kids' uh, enrollment dropped like 1.2 million nationwide. I think that's the right number. Um, But, so here we have um, daycare. Now listen to this. In 2021, millions of mothers left the workforce. Of course, 20. So you could say the pandemic started in, I think, the spring of 20. Or maybe a few months before that. Yes. Um, So this is 2021 roughly a year later or so, millions of mothers left the workforce as a result of the pandemic. For many of them, it was a golden opportunity to respond to the chaos that had become their lives and make the decision to change course. Quote, Sandy Barrick was making a six-figure salary as a sales, uh, sales gal when she quit her job in December 2019 to move to North Carolina. At first, She made plans for when she went back to work, but slowly that shifted to if she would go. Barrick values the extra time at home and the fact that she no longer feels she's racing through her life on autopilot. She and her husband have decided they can make it work on one income. Barrick isn't alone. Article after article shows that those who've quit their jobs are happier for having done so. Life threw these folks lemons, and they made Lemonade. During this same time period, daycare centers throughout the U.S., listen to this, received stimulus checks that have since driven up the cost of child daycare. Hmm. That's, that's the unintended consequences that these government people and others don't realize. So all this money went into the cost of child daycare. Guess what? Everyone's got more money. And uh, prices rise. It's just mm-hmm. like when you print six trillion dollars. Guess what? You got six trillion more dollars in the economy, and when you have more of something, the value of it just by law of nature falls. That federal, let's see, the cost of, that federal aid is set to expire at the end of this month, and America now faces what has been dubbed a child care cliff. Listen to this: nearly seventy thousand. 70,000, Pastor. Nearly 70,000 daycare centers are preparing to close up shop. Hmm. Is this a tragedy or a wake-up call? For years, I've listened to young mothers, Finker says, talk about daycare as casually as one talks about taking a shower. I play pickleball on weekday mornings, and 1.30-something, women announced, uh, and at 1.30, 
something, um, a woman announced she had to drop her newborn off at a daycare to play pickleball. It finally occurred to me that today's mothers and fathers, for that matter, have no concept of the needs of their very young children. They genuinely believe daycare is harmless. Twenty years ago, when I wrote my first book on this subject, the mommy wars were all the rage, and the media repeatedly fed Americans lies and distortions that normalized daycare going so far as to make it sound good for kids. They were so successful in their messaging that over time, parents have come to believe they're doing their babies and uh, toddlers a disservice by not sending them to daycare. How else, mothers ask, will they learn to socialize? So that's been flipped. That's an amazing thing to where mothers nowadays are are thinking, well, instead of being guilty for for sending and dropping off their new ch- their babies or toddlers at daycare they feel guilty for not dropping them off yeah. for not putting them in daycare did you have something to say or shall i go I, on i just think that that has been um really a, not maybe a tactic but just something that has arisen in our culture in education in general is this pressure or this guilting to turn your children over into something so that they can either be socialized or or so that they can be educated at a higher level. And and actually when you dig into it, the opposite is true. You know, I mean, socialization should happen around communities that support your values. And when you have a bunch of people just dropped off into a place where you don't know necessarily what values are being taught or what values are being modeled, um, you're not necessarily helping your child socialize in the way that you would desire as a parent to socialize them. So, you know, this guilt trip of I got to get my kid into this program or into this school or into this sports thing or into this, I'm not saying all of those things are wholesale bad, but what I am saying is the answer isn't just turning your kids over to something. It's having a plan that's based on your values, your foundation, and the calling that God has given you as a parent. And um, it also is, is counterintuitive. It's counter to nature. A mother mm. knows that that she is to bond with her child, that, there's a, that there is a bonding that uh, that should go on through a number of years up mm-hmm. until the you know uh, the the child is at least ready to go to some kind of schooling and you know that I think because because of the way the child acts and the the child's starting to separate and be independent and so on and there is an age I think where where uh, you know they they're ready for school ready for learning and so on but not right after they're born right um, Every every mother knows that instinctively, and so does so do fathers. Um, okay, so she goes on. These mothers aren't to blame. They have zero awareness of the lies that they've been fed. Well, I think that they are to blame, and uh, uh, dads too. In Bernard Goldberg's 2004 book Bias, he wrote a chapter entitled "The Most Important Story You Never Saw on TV." It referred to bias of women in the media, many of whom are mothers who re- rarely see their children and thus feel deeply con- uh, conflicted about reporting on findings and so on. So anyway, uh, it goes on and talks about uh, one of the biggest studies ever done on daycare that was that was done around 2001. I have a book that um, uh, I bought back in 2014, never read. It's on... Um, it's on daycare. It's by a, a very good author, um, and it was it was published in 2004, which is just a few years after this 2001 study 
that was conducted by the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development, and nobody said anything about it. It got it got uh, put on the uh, bottom shelf, and you you hardly heard anything about it. It was a ten year study, ten cities, federally financed, more than thirteen hundred and sixty four children. It's ironclad. There's a constant dose-response relationship between time and care and problem behavior, especially those involving aggression and behavior. And we know that. We know this intuitively. If a, if a child is separated from his uh, parents, especially his mother or a uh, little girl's mother, there's going to be, there's going to be uh, an issue. These mm-hmm. babies, these children want to be with their mother. In the, the the front the cover of the book that I have and I wish I could I met I walked out without a, a guy named Mary, a gal named Mary Eberstadt wrote it she's a great author um, and it's a on the front cover it's a picture of a little kid with uh, his his uh, anchors around his mom's uh, uh, his hand his arms around his mom's ankles as she's dragging him out the door with a briefcase in her hand on the way to daycare yeah because no child wants to go to daycare child wants to be at home and it's it's become a, a part of our culture so here we have uh, pastor I think I think God's just stepping in here and it's amazing how how things happen that you don't think will like things that happened in, in the pandemic that we thought oh the pandemic it was everything was awful about it well no that's not true yeah. God in his providence uh, is shutting down 70,000 daycares and and uh, I'm not, uh, you know, I appreciate, I know there's a lot of employees, I don't want to offend folks, there's a lot of employees in these daycares who love kids, I know that, but uh, there's there's nobody that loves a baby more than the baby's mom and dad, there's nobody, it's impossible to love a, someone else's child as much as you love yours, I think that's true, hmm. right, by nature. Yeah, you know, and I think that sin plays a, a part in all of this, uh, there are sinful parents there are sinful um situations um where you know a parent at home is not going to do the right thing either but i think that we have a design by god to uh stewardship the lives of our children and i i think you have to work that equation in your mind how much time in my child's life do i want them to be away from me uh, away from the direct care i can provide them away from the direct um, direction that I can give them. Um, ultimately, I, the way I feel about it personally is I'm going to give an account for how I stewardship my child. Mm. I want to be able to give an account for having poured as much time into my child's life as I can. Well, there you go. Um, 70,000 daycares. That's just an amazing, amazing story. So that's, that story is actually in USA Today that she references Suzanne Venker in her story. I just, I just clicked on it. But uh, emergency child care funding is about to end. Expect more daycares to hike prices and close. So the story, I, I don't think I got to it, but the story goes on. It talks about this, this couple, you know, uh, these, these stories. They'll, they'll grab somebody and uh, tell the, their personal story. But a mom and dad during, uh, during the pandemic both of them worked. She was an accountant, made lots of money, made more money than her husband. And they got together and, and uh, said, hey, we can do this. They they did a budget, and she quit her job, and dad went worked, picked up an extra job. 
she stayed home with the kids, and he eventually got a promotion. And um, you know, it was obviously obviously the work the Lord worked, and and uh, she's she's at home, hmm. <laughs> and he's gotten a promotion at work and makes more money. And and uh, anyway, so I thought that was an interesting, interesting story. So let's take a break here, Tim. Uh, when I come back, I've got I've got the, another. We're going to do another audio about um, this. This pastor tells this story of being in China. It's a little bit lengthy, but um, you're going to enjoy it. It's really fascinating, and uh, you'll feel quite guilty when it's all done. <laughs> it's very convicting. But he tells a story about being in China and the and the Chinese Christians. You're listening to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. I'm your host, Mike Azinger. We'll be right back. A portion of today's programming on Praise FM has been brought to you by an underwriting grant from Levitt Funeral Home. Levitt Funeral Home is the area's only locally owned multi-generational home. Five generations of the Levitt family have been personally involved in serving our community. So, a family can always do business with someone they know, someone they can depend on. Levitt Funeral Home can offer information about grief resources, ideas on planning a funeral or memorial service, information about our products and services, and ways to bring family and friends together through our online obituaries, email condolence program, and information for families about the Levitt Family Center. Levitt Funeral Home is celebrating 125 years of serving the Valley with two locations in Parkersburg and Belpre. The phone number for Levitt Funeral Home is 422-6459. We are thankful for John and Stephen Levitt of Levitt Funeral Home for supporting listener-supported Praise FM Radio. Thousands of businesses are established every year. Each began with a good idea, not wishful thinking, but they won't get started if the idea is never shared. God has given us a good idea. Share His love through radio because people need the encouragement of a God-sized message. At this station, we can't let anything come between God's good idea and what you hear. We refuse to be shy about news that changes lives. We will be confident that the encouragement we share is just what you need. And we will be optimistic, knowing that you might be one who needed to hear what we're bold enough to share. When people believe in our good idea, they have voluntarily supplied finances that make this good idea great. Help us share God's good idea. Praise FM at praisefm.net. All right, welcome back to the Voice of Truth Radio Show. I'm your host, State Senator Mike Azinger. I've got Pastor Brian Leversy in the house with me. We're going to go to a story that um, it's about three minute, three minutes forty seconds. Tim, I got it to Tim. That's why we started late because uh, I sent this to him late, and it takes a while to upload. And uh, but. This, listen closely, it's really, uh, really convicting, and it's just a fascinating story this pastor tells about being in China. So go ahead, Tim. And when you teach in China, you start at 8 in the morning, and you don't get done till 5 at night. You teach the whole day. 
They were sitting there, all 22 of them, and I looked around and I said, now, if we get caught, what will happen to me? They said, oh, you'll get deported in 24 hours and we'll go to prison for three years. I said, you're kidding. How many of you have been in prison for your faith? Out of 22, 18 raised their hands. I thought, no way. I looked at him and I said, you, you 22 people, how many people do you oversee? Because they were all of these small group leaders, underground church leaders in the Hunan province. I said, how many, if you counted up all the people under your jurisdiction, how many would it be? And they counted them up and they said, little over 20 million. I said, what? See, we forget there's 1.3 billion people in China. This is crazy. Well, I had 15 Bibles and I passed them out. Obviously, seven didn't get them. And I said, let's turn to Second Peter chapter 1 and we're going to read it. And just then, one lady handed hers to somebody next to her. And I thought, hmm, interesting. Well, we turned there anyway. And as we started reading it, I understood why she gave it away. She had memorized the whole thing. She just recited the whole chapter. When it was done, I went over to her at a break and I said, you, you, you recited the whole chapter. She says, oh yes, I've memorized many chapters. I said, where did you memorize many chapters? She said, in prison. I said, you have much time in prison. <laughs> so I said, but don't they confiscate the Bible? She said, yes. So people bring in scriptures written on pieces of paper and they bring it in. So I said, but then if they find that piece of paper on you, won't they confiscate that? She said, oh yes, that's why you memorize it as fast as you can. Because even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. I thought, wow. Well, after three days, you fall in love with these people. And when it was done, I said, how can I pray for you? I'm going to go back to America. You guys have been just so wonderful. How can I pray for you? They said, you know, Wayne, you guys can gather like this whenever you want to in America. We can't. Could you pray that one day we'll be just like you? And I looked at him and I said, I will not do that. Big incredulous eyes looked at me and they said, why? <laughs> I said, because you guys rode a train for 13 hours to get here. In my country, if you've got to drive more than an hour, people don't come. You sat on a wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit more than 40 minutes, they leave. You sat not only here for three days on a hard wooden floor, but you did it without air conditioning. In my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people don't often come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family. We don't read any of them. You hardly have any Bibles and you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that we become like, uh, you become like us, but I will pray that we become just like you. So that's pretty powerful, I think. <laughs> right. So uh, I don't know if you've been to, I know you've been to Israel, I don't know if you've been to China. Who goes to China? <coughs> no, I've never been to China. So. I, I read in a secular magazine, I used to get National Review, uh, which is Bill Buckley's magazine for many years. Um, but uh, so it was, it's all mostly politics, but it, it'll have a religious section, you know, quote unquote religion. But, but somebody, 
a believer I uh, wrote an article about China, and this was 30 years ago. And uh, you know, we, all, all we see is the superficial accounts of what goes on in China. We don't we don't hear much about. It's like the Middle East. Mm-hmm. All we hear is about the bombing and the fighting and the war. But underneath that that crust of violence and and secularism and and so on, God's working, right? Mm-hmm. He's working all the time, everywhere. But uh, the article said that 25,000 people a day, uh, pastor, <clears throat> excuse me, were coming to Jesus Christ in China. Wow. So you do the math on that, and, and I haven't, but uh, that's a small city. That's like the city of Parkersburg or two Mariettas or two Viennas coming to Jesus Christ every day. Now, of course, like mm-hmm. he said, there's one point, what, four billion people in China, a massive amount of people. Uh, but... But the underground church there is is thriving, mm-hmm. and the underground church in the Middle East, these Muslims are, there's, you know, there's been more uh, more Iranians, Persians saved in the last 20 years in Iran than in the last thousand years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, people are coming to Christ. There's a great story right there that you just heard. In China, where uh, uh, you know they they just they make us they make us look pretty bad mm-hmm. here, yeah. and of course you know that's we have different cultures and so on, but but um, but you know they they love Jesus and they love these these uh, uh, these new Christians in the Middle East they love Jesus too, mm-hmm. you know a lot of these former uh, uh, you know they used to. I can't remember the guy's name that um, Joel uh, anyway Epicenter who wrote Epicenter can you remember uh, Rosenbaum oh, yeah Rosenbaum okay what's his first name Joel Joel Rosenbaum Joel Rosenbaum so yeah. he tells the story in one of his books Epicenter or um, one of the others I've read several of his books they're so good but he tells the story of being in the Middle East and meeting he's gonna be meeting somebody and and uh this big old, big old burly guy who's a he's a former terrorist. He picked him up and gave him a big bear hug, and he said, "Joel, what's his what's his, what's his name? Rosenbaum? Rosenbaum, I, Joel Rosenbaum. Ten years ago, I would have killed you." <laughs> they came to Jesus Christ. Yeah. They called the state flower in Iran the antenna because at night, um, everybody's antenna at the top of the roofs go up. At dark, so the authorities don't see him, and they listen to these former terrorists who are now preachers and evangelists, hmm. and they listen to them all across the Middle East, all across the wow. world, and so on. And so there's China for you, uh, doing the doing the same thing. Great story. Hmm. I, I, I can't. I don't know who the, the the pastor was telling the story, or I'd say his name, but he did a good job telling it and uh, about his experience over there. Oh, some some stuff going on here in America. Just uh, I like to dip into, um, you know, what's going on in the in the culture of, uh, you know, just the general zeitgeist. Um, you know what what uh, who's getting sued? Who's getting put in jail? Who's getting persecuted to an extent? In uh, uh, in, in the culture, but uh, so something going on. So let me give you, I got a couple stories. Here's one in California. A Christian student athletic club was 
thrown off campus in California because of its, because of its traditional stance on marriage. The members fought back and won. So let me just do a couple paragraphs here. Here's a good story. Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Uh, they got the the audacity of you know, California so bad. <laughs> it really is. But So they throw this athletic club, this Christian club, off California campus. They're not afraid. There's no fear of God there. And they fought back over there. A Christian student athletic club in California was denigrated protested, then thrown off campus in 2019 on account of its traditional views on marriage when the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, they've been around forever, and student leaders requests to have their club reinstated fell on deaf ears. They took legal action with the help of the uh, religious liberty group Beckett and the Christian Legal Society. In a major upset, this is California, in a major upset for LGBT activists and other cultural imperialists in the San Jose United School District, a federal court delivered the evangelical FCA a decisive win on Wednesday, ordering the reinstatement of its chapter at Pioneer High school. So this is Blaze Media. It's Glenn Beck's group. How about that for a story? So praise God for that. There's a victory in California. So they still have to, they still have to uh, obey the First Amendment mm-hmm. over there, whether they're California or not. And see, this is the importance of having a constitution, and the importance of continuing to talk about it, and the importance of continuing mm-hmm. to battle against any kind of legislation or lawsuit that goes against the Constitution. Because as soon as we roll over on that. They're going to they're gonna eliminate that and take it away, and then you can't win battles like this anymore. Mm-hmm. We've got to keep talking about the Constitution. We that... can't let that conversation ever die. And, you know, I, I think there's just a general push in our culture today to minimize the Constitution as something that evolves and something that needs to be redone and something that we can just be dismissive of. We have to continue to shout out the foundation of the Constitution. I think that is uh, exactly right. Uh, we have this tendency to to think that well, we shouldn't bring up the Constitution, and uh, we're tired of hearing about it. But that's that is the framework of mm-hmm. our of our liberty and our of our government, and it's it's founded on principle, and it's founded ultimately on on the Word of God, and uh, the men of God that wrote it. They were Christians. Look, mm-hmm. they were Christians, and uh, so. See, every, guy, people are drawn to new things. You know, like like on Mars Hill, everybody came to hear some new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you have new cart Christianity. You know, you've got uh, let's let's evolve our culture away from the Constitution. And there's almost this sense of oh, the, it's all old hat. We've heard it before. We've heard the Word of God before. We've heard about the Constitution before. We've heard about our founding fathers before. Blah 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 blah. Well, this is why you have to erect those landmarks and and not remove those landmarks. You you can't you can't just want to go with the popular, trendy, faddish thing. These things are are vaporous. They are, they have no substance to them. Mm-hmm. Just because something is new doesn't mean something is better. And um, you know, 
if we if we if we ever start diminishing in our own minds and our own hearts the the value of the Constitution as believers, I'm not holding the Constitution at the same level as Scripture. I'm just I'm just using it as an example. But as Christians, if we ever walk away from the truths of God's Word, which people are, you know, people like Andy Stanley, people like, you know, just totally unhitching from Scripture, moving into the culture headlong. And, you know, we, we've got to make sure that we hold to the value of truth. Yes. All right, so here's one other incapable of consenting woman sues doctors that performed double mastectomy on her at age 16 for gender-affirming care. So here's a pretty little girl. They did a double mastectomy on her at the age of 16. So she sued. A Minnesota woman is suing the doctors who performed a double mastectomy on her when she was 16 years old as a part of her treatment for gender dysphoria. This is what you have doctors doing this in America, and they're doing this to underage kids, to even you could even children. Lake Hine, Luke Hine, 21, began experiencing a mental health issues when she was 13 years old. Luca Hine. Her parents were in the middle of a divorce, and she also began an inappropriate relationship with an older man online. It was at this time that Hine began feeling uncomfortable with her developing uh, breasts and her period and so on. So she sought the guidance of the University of Nebraska Medical Center. Bad idea. Within 55 minutes of her first session, Dr. Megan Smith-Salana diagnosed Hine with gender identity disorder. One meeting, 55 minutes, this so-called doctor knew what her problem was. Wow. So that's the gal that she's suing, and, and I'm glad she is. And these, these lawsuits like this are going to, uh, are going to just uh, increase in number, and I hope they do because these people that do these, these, this to these kids should be, uh, well, I don't want to say what I think they sh- should happen to them. But they should pay. They should pay dearly for it. So, but there's a couple. There's a couple of. Uh, so I think that'll have a chilling effect. These kids are getting online and they're they're posting videos about the uh, about regretting these operations that they had. And guess and guess how they can fix it. They can't fix it. Yeah. Guess how they can go back to how they were. They can't go back to how they were. It's permanent yeah. for the rest of their life. What's done to these kids, and to hear their stories, is is just brutal, hmm. and and just uh, it's beyond sad. It's it's tragic, but uh, you know some you know a lot of them come to Christ, Pastor. Hmm. That's how they. That's how, and 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 so many. If they're just left alone, this has always been a problem. But ninety-eight percent of these kids that have these have these issues with sexuality when they're young, they come around mm. because they in, they're within the confines of a loving family and a mom and dad Help who are there it. to to guide them through it and to tutor them and to love them, even if they're not Christian. You know, as long as there's a as long as there's a mom and dad there that have a basic understanding. Uh, a lot of these transgender kids, the book that we talked about, uh, um, a lot of these trans, they come from families where mom and dad uh, don't don't believe in traditional mm-hmm. traditional marriage. They believe homosexual marriage is okay, transgenderism is okay. They don't have the parents there to say this is nonsense and idiocy mm-hmm. and, uh, and abominable. And uh, so, anyway, there's one more, but uh, there's there's one or more story. How much time we got, Tim? 
Two we minutes. Have, we have time. Okay, so I got one more story that um, let me find it here on my list. This is this is uh, so the, uh, we, we see the mass thing coming back on the horizon, and uh, I, you know my my wife and I talk about this quite a bit, along with the the, the vaccine and and so on. But uh, this is a um, some employee. Employees who fought back. Employers walk back mask mandates amid employee and public backlash. Kaiser Permanente and Lionsgate Studios in California reversed. This is California again. Reversed mask mandate policies last week just a few days after imposing them. Just a few hmm. days. Kaiser Permanente, the largest healthcare provider in California. So this is a huge company. This is a Goliath. On August 22, announced it had, quote, reintroduced a mask mandate for physicians, staff, patients, members, and visitors in the hospital and the medical offices in the Santa Rosa service area. So that was uh, from the free the, the Press Democrat newspaper. Kaiser said the mandate was in response to an increase in the number of patients testing positive COVID-19, but just two days later, on August 24, Kaiser Permanente officials told the Press Democrat that the mask reinstatement applied only to physicians and staff, not to patients and visitors. So there's some people that fought back in the state of California. Two victories in California. (laughs) Maybe there's hope for California. Uh, Anyway, so... We're out of time, folks. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in to the Voice of Truth radio show. See you next week.